MSW Media. Sit for a spill. It's time to have some fun. Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. But this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. This is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Welcome to the show, our 99th episode of the podcast. And what a show it is coming up in just a few moments. I'm going to be speaking to one of the world's great beauties. Supermodel Christy Brinkley will be joining me. And you're not going to want to miss that. What else is happening in the world? Anything big happening in the world? Oh, of course there's something big. We all know the big news. We've all heard the big news. Of course. New York Times is reporting that seven members of the Court of Master Sommeliers, Americas, which of course is an elite body of wine professionals, seven of them have been suspended from all activities. Another one resigned after a Times report last week on the group's long-term pattern of sexual harassment. These men, I don't even know I want to say their name. All right, I'll say their name. Greg Harrington. Yeah, yeah, let's say their names. Greg Harrington, Eric Entricken, Robert Bath, Matt Stamp, Matthew Citriglia, Trudiglia, Drew Hendricks, and Fred Dame. And Fred Dame is one of the co-founders of the Court of Master Sommeliers. Well, they've they're all been suspended and they're all going to be getting investigated, an external investigation. Each of these men has been accused of sexual misconduct involving women who were candidates for the court's top title of Master Sommelier. Again, each of these men already held that title and thus wield enormous influence over the women's ability to advance in the profession. Now, the Times report goes on to say, fuck these twits. Actually, no, that's me saying that, not the Times. The Times wouldn't be so crude. But I'll say it. Yeah, fuck these twits, okay? I called them twits. So let's get one thing clear up front. Putting labels on people reduces them to a stereotype. It's mean and it's hurtful. That's why I don't like putting labels on people. Rather, I love it. And here are some of the labels I've applied recently. Donald Trump, the unwinner. The guy who invented doggles, the world's first tinted eye goggles for dogs. Well, I labeled him a friggin' genius. Oh, I could sit here and do this all day. Hell, sometimes I do, which earns me my own label, judgmental asshole, which coincidentally is listed in Roger's as a synonym for podcast host. But I'd like to correct one label I've used previously here on this show. I'm talking, of course, about yucky fucktard. Yucky, of course, is short for young, urban, creative. Since uttering that phrase, I've come to realize that this epithet is dreadfully insensitive to ordinary, everyday fucktarts. So for this, I'm sorry. From here on out, I will simply use yucky to describe these obnoxious posers. And the fucktard is implied. Now that we've got our terminology sorted, we can move on to my actual point of discussion. 
as has been well documented, there is no shortage of yuckies in the drinks industry. From the mustachioed, clove, cigarette-smoking ironist behind the stick at a trendy craft cocktail joint, well, at least when trendy craft cocktail joints were open, to the skull ring wearing airsots biker tough slinging PBR at a sanitized dive. Now, your average everyday booze yucky tends to look like one of three things. An extra on Stranger Things, the guy who didn't get the part that went to Robert Pattinson, or sales rep for Benino's. But there's also a breed of yucky lurking out there in boozy land that is much more difficult to spot. It's a secret society of superciliousness made up of the most pernicious of all the yuckies peddling potent potables. Talking, of course, about Samoyes. Samoyes out-yucky even the most arrogant mustachioed mixologist. They can be hard to spot. These sinister operators pass under the radar for several reasons. First, they wear a different uniform. One we'd be more likely to associate with a Ritz-Carlton concierge or General Manor Brooks Brothers. Rarely find them sporting facial hair, and any ink or piercings remain well hidden. They typically occupy a higher age bracket than the garden variety bar yucky, making them even more difficult to spot. But while their near invisibility is surely an asset, the thing that makes the sommelier the most dangerous of the booze yuckies is their secret weapon, a twin instrument designed to destroy both your self-esteem and your wallet. Talking about the wine list. The wine list. Lest we forget, the primary goal of any yucky, just like their forebear, the hipster, is to make themselves seem interesting. And their primary way of going about this to make you feel inferior for not knowing things, such as the name of the band Tom York was in before Radiohead, where the power outlets are at Cafe Grumpy, and what it's like to be an extra on Stranger Things. The basic equation hinges on the principle that a given item's value is inversely proportional to its popularity. The modern wine list is a direct outgrowth of this tendency. It is a sommelier's calling card, and it is their cudgel. It's the yucky equivalent of a bunker buster, a remotely delivered piece of ordinance which allows sommeliers to appear superior to a vast number of customers at once while only personally interacting with a fraction of them face-to-face. Now, the key to the sommelier's dark art of wine list creation is stacking the list with obscure bottles that are not on the lists at any other restaurants in the immediate vicinity. This is not especially difficult given the vast breadth of individual wines on the market. Then, thanks to the human male's natural desire not to ask for help, especially in a competitive mating environment, i.e. a date, the sommelier can remain in the shadows, which is his natural habitat, while observing the tourist masses. And make no mistake, the sommelier thinks you're a tourist unless you work at a bar or restaurant within a mile of his bar or restaurant. So he's puzzling over his fiend, he watches you, you're puzzling over his fiendish creation, ultimately shaking their heads, picking out bottles based vaguely on color and how much they want to wave their dick, aka money, around. Indeed, the wine list is the ultimate no soap radio joke. The restaurant owners are trapped, of course, as if things weren't bad enough these days. See, they have invited the devil in, and now they're stuck with him. Bottles and glasses of wine represent a hefty chunk of the profits for any medium to high end restaurant. Nowhere else would you not bat an eye at paying $60 for a bottle you'd pay $12 for at the store, which the restaurant got for $8. 
that's due directly to the fact that you haven't heard of any of the bottles on the list, have no idea what they go for at retail, and don't want to be the douche nozzle that pulls out his phone to look up wine prices. You've heard of the beers they have. You've heard of the vodkas and the scotches and the gins and the bourbons. But while you're nearly guaranteed to find Maker's Mark or Bombay Sapphire in any given restaurant, there are very few places where you can walk in and expect them to carry the particular bottle of wine you have a hankering for. So it looks like we're stuck with these superior leeches. At least until COVID or global warming wipes out the grape harvest and we're all reduced to drinking grain alcohol with Kool-Aid and telling ourselves it's fresh, vibrant texture is redolent of summer hay and warthog musk. Think of them as the obnoxious IT guys of the restaurant business. They've spent a lot of time acquiring obscure knowledge that their company needs to continue operating, and they never miss an opportunity to point out how irreplaceable they are and how little they care about what you think. Still, there's one final somewhat uncomfortable truth I need to face about sommeliers. We've established that they're yuckies, which by the associated property also makes them fucktards. But I think another truth is also emerging. These people are also judgmental assholes which leads me to a certain inescapable truth about myself. Namely, that while I do love spouting off as a podcast host, I could probably be making a tidier living as a sommelier. So I'm out. Goodbye, so long, Elfeeder Zane, fuck you. I'm ready to trade in these long hours of spouting bullshit into a microphone for leisurely afternoons swirling a glass, wearing an ascot next to a spit bucket spouting bullshit. 10-week online intensive wine classes, here I come. I'm just kidding. I'd never leave you, folks. Well, all right, I'm going to leave you very quickly for a quick break, even though I'm the one going to be reading the spot, so I'm really not going anywhere at all. We're going to take a quick break, word from the sponsor, and then it's Christy Brinkley time. Hey, let me ask you something. What kind of underwear are you wearing right now? Does it feel like you're sitting in a heaven cloud? No? Maybe it's time for a change. Imagine how much more badass you'd feel right now if your undies were covered in pandas or sushi rolls. Mine are, because I wear me undies, which offers classic colors to ridiculous prints. Also, you can fully express yourself in your own unique way. Speaking of which, Me Undies Gives is an initiative that supports those who have systemic barriers to their self-expression. By shopping Me Undies, you support causes such as LGBTQ plus communities, mental health and well-being, and women's rights. And Me Undies has a great offer for my listeners. Any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. Go to MeUndies.com/drinking. That's MeUndies.com. Slash drinking. Me undies believes you and your butt deserve comfort inside and out. And me, well, I just like saying the word butt. Joining me now is a legendary supermodel who has appeared on more than five. Hundred magazine covers worldwide. I think that's four hundred ninety nine and a half more than I have. Uh, <laughs> she's also an actress, an entrepreneur, illustrator, photographer, best selling author. For purposes of what we're drinking in twenty sixteen, she launched an exclusive line of organic prosecco called Bellissima. Please give a warm what we're drinking. Welcome to Christy Brinkley. Hi. 
Hi, thank you. It is so good to Cheers. see you. Yeah. So nice to see you again. I, I we haven't seen we so little background. Chrissy and I did a thing. Let me pop this bubbly here. I'm gonna get the full yes. effect. Here we go. Ready? Pour yourself a glass. I've got a nice glass of my brand new wine. And I can't oh. wait till you taste this one. I'm very excited. What are you drinking at that end? So last time we saw each other was a couple of years ago at the Wine and Spirits Wholesalers Association, which is a huge convention in Las Vegas. And you were there uh, doing the rounds, working the crowd. And really, uh, and it is, it's impressive to see, you know, there are some celebrities who attach their names to brands, but they don't, they're not really doing the work. A lot do, but a lot don't. And you were there working, you and I did a segment it was a pretty long segment where we, we drank. I and we, that. Yeah. yeah. In that big room in the back, in that kitchen, there was like a kitchen set up or something, you know, that we or it had all the fruits and stuff to add. It was, it was great. And I, I went back yeah. and I watched the video prepping for this. And at one point toward the end, you started talking about you and I drinking, drinking the bubbly on a beach somewhere in Europe. And I don't think I've ever blushed so much in my life. I'm visibly red while you're saying this. And I'm like, I can't handle this right now. This is too much for me. But it's great to see you. And here, cheers. There we go. Cheers. Cheers. Boom. Mm. Oh, yeah. Ah. Wow. So this is the brand new one, right? This is now. Did they did did they send you a bottle in advance? Yes, here it is. Oh, you've so, got all right. Yeah, yeah. This is the so. Before we, before I get into the whole thing with this, I just want to tell yeah. people what. So Belisima, I'm saying that right, yeah. right? Yes. Yes. Is a pre- yeah. It means the most beautiful because it's for your most beautiful occasions. You know, you have a baby. Cheers. You have a promotion. Cheers. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Cheers. <laughs> so we wanted it to to uh, to celebrate everything in your life. You know, bellissima. It's 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 beautiful now. So everybody knows out there. This is a prosecco. Okay, so prosecco is sparkling wine. That's the category. It's made in Veneto, Italy, which is close to Treviso, which is just a little bit north of Venice, okay? And yeah. so I'll just give you the, the quick little breakdown here with the difference between, some people get confused between Prosecco and Champagne. Yes. Champagne is made in France. That's the first big difference. And yeah. it is made primarily yeah. with Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Pinot Meunier, whereas Prosecco is made with a, a grape called Glera, all right? Yeah. And uh, that's that's one key difference. And then the second, I guess, key difference between these two sparkling wines would be the method of production, in, in particular, how it becomes sparkling. So in the case of Champagne, it go, both of them go through a secondary fermentation, which creates that CO2, which makes it sparkling. In Champagne, it, the Champagne message, traditional method, is used, and they do it in the bottle. Whereas with, with uh, Prosecco, they generally use what's called the tank method, where the second yeah. fermentation happens inside a large tank. I yes. got that right, Christy? Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. And uh, and it's interesting because um, we have what's very unique. We have uh, in the Bellissima line, we have a, a sparkling rosé 
We have a traditional Prosecco and we have something very unique, especially when we started a zero sugar Prosecco. And now today, like starting now, we're just now launching a zero sugar sparkling rosé wine. So, uh, so that's our second zero sugar. And the way that we do it, people taste it and they can't believe it. And they're like, oh, well, how did you do this? And how did you took the sugar out? And then you must have added something to make it taste good. But no, basically, we well, with the with the Prosecco, we leave it in the vat twice as long. And uh, and the natural yeasts eat away all the sugars, leaving behind zero carbs, zero sugar. And uh, and so it's a similar similar process with the with our new zero sugar sparkling wine. Um, it's left in the vat for seven months. It is uh, we say you have to be very patient, but during that time, again, the natural yeast eat away the sugar, and uh, we start with the maceration of the grapes so that we get that beautiful color. And then it goes into the uh, the vat, and there it stays for seven months. What's interesting is this one is a Galera grape, uh, and it's a wine. Am I getting that right? Because well, I think isn't a Pinot Grigio for these? For that, the, well, for, that's what I that's what I thought, and I just yeah. was handed notes before I came out here, and I was like, "Well, hold on a second. I am that's the opposite of what I've been saying." Okay, so yes, we then we do have it right. So this is the Pinot uh, Grigio. Grigio, yes, yes, Pinot Grigio, and uh, and this one is the Galera. So I got to tell you, this it's one so, is a sparkling it's white wine, and this one is a sparkling rosé. It's amazing and that there's no sugar rosé. in this because it, it's it, there is a sweetness to it. I mean, it's not by any means cloyingly sweet, but it's it's crisp. But you can't tell there's no sugar in here it, right yeah. i mean i was comparing it to like what i've always been i've always had a zero i mean a, a sparkling rosé um but not a zero sugar sparkling rosé and i'm comparing them to the regular rosés that i've been drinking and i love mine the best i honestly really think that this is my favorite sparkling rosé I've ever tasted. I absolutely love it. And I love knowing that I don't have the sugar. You know, especially this time of year. Come on, we're going into the holiday season. We, I've just had to deal with Kit Kats in the house, you know, because we want to pass Halloween, them out. Nobody yeah. shows up. Nobody showed up, so now I've got the Kit Kats. So I'm like, okay, I can't have Kit Kat and a glass of wine. But... Now I can. <laughs> now you can do it. How how has it been for you, by the way, with uh, with COVID and being quarantined? I, are you getting on okay, or is it starting to feel yes, oppressive? Yes. Or? I mean, for for uh, for me, um, I've been. It's like the silver lining of the whole thing is that my kids are all back home, and. Uh, you know, sometimes they, they, they come in and out if they have special work projects that take them out of the house. But for the most part, I always have, you know, most of my kids home, which has been such a joy for me, you know. Um, 
so I can't complain at all. Um, obviously, I you know I miss work. I miss uh, being able to have my team around me at work. You know, um, it's very you know like like doing this today. It's my assistant Kate. You know, and me. When hey wait, I'm here too. Part, yes, I'm part of this yeah. as well. No. Yes, but way over but there. I'm I'm all alone <laughs> in Cal. My dog's here. She's watching. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, I, I don't have any kids or anything. You know, like, like I miss that part of it of actually collaborating in person with sure. people, you know. And, um, you know, I just, I mean, I hope that all the things, like I hope will be, will have moved past it and I can actually come to Vegas back to the wine and spirits, you know, convention and, and let everybody taste my new sparkling rosé in person, you know. Um, well, you're, you're so busy. I mean, I, I was looking over your bio. I mean, you just between acting and, and activism and everything else, where does this fit into your life though? Because when, when we met in Vegas, as I, as I alluded to earlier, you seemed really enthusiastic about this. Like, is this, is this, is this something that would under normal circumstances take up a lot of your time is going out and, and promoting the brand and, and sort of being an evangelist for Prosecco, the category, but also your, your brand itself. You know, I don't have to do like, if I didn't want to, I don't have to really do any of this. Um, but I really genuinely love my brand and I love the idea. Like I really don't want to consume things that aren't organic. You know, I'm, I'm really, really concerned with our environment. I love the fact that my, my wines, they don't dump all those chemicals on them. You know, generally speaking, a grape uh, in a glass of wine could have up to 57 chemicals on it that of course they say that they're healthy today, but we all know the story suddenly they discover that it's not as healthy as they thought it was, you know? So whenever possible, I like to avoid those chemicals. I like to avoid the runoff that goes into the streams that go down into the ocean that affects our coral reefs that affects, you know, uh, it, the whole chain reaction. I love knowing that my Bellissima is, uh, is the solution to all of that. I love knowing that, People on special diets and uh, keto diets and and like me, I mean, my job requires, you know, I when I first went into quarantine, I got the quarantine 15 because all the kids were back and we were making banana bread like everybody on Instagram. We were making banana bread and we're making, you know, all this stuff and somebody's always eating and uh, so before I knew it, my genes were like, oh, okay, I can't get that button. No, that's so, hard. That's hard to imagine. Come on. Well, it happened. Um, and so, so um, you know, I'm sticking with my zero sugars. Uh, when I do have a drink, that's what I drink. Well, it's interesting to think about that, Christy, because you have had, I mean, it's it's not something that most people have to think about, but you've had to be conscious, conscious your entire adult life, professional life, which started when you were a teenager, right? About yeah. how yeah. you look. I can't yeah. imagine having, I mean, I've, my weight will fluctuate. I mean, I, I'm 
generally in good shape. But, you know, there have been times in my life where I'll look back at a few years ago when my last book came out, I guess I was eating myself through the, the, it was, the writing process was difficult. So I think I was eating a lot when I did it. And I'm, I look at photos of when I was on my book tour and I'm like, shit, I was fat, man. You know, like I, I I could see it in my face and you did, you have never, that's not something that was ever an option for you. Oh no, no, no. I go up and down. I go up and down. It's so funny because like, of course there's, when you have a baby, Right. And as soon as I as soon as the baby is out, I feel like I'm I'm back to my normal weight. And then I see a picture, you know, later and I go, I know she she wasn't back to her normal weight yet, you know, but also depending, you know, I, I will. I love I love like, you know, long lunches with friends. I love hanging out at a dinner table, long stories. I right now we're doing a lot of like bonfires out in the yard. We that way we can social distance with friends and have people over. So are you on the East Coast then, I'm assuming? You're doing I'm both. on the East You're Coast. You're on the Okay, yeah. yeah Cuz it's getting colder yeah. back there, I guess, but uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's Yeah, but you know, well actually it was gorgeous today. Absolutely you know, we're having like really atypical weather, but, um, but we, we've had some cold weather, you know, and we've been okay around the bonfire and people can drop by and we can chat and, you know, tell stories. And, uh, and I love that. I think it's a great way to extend the safe social distancing, you know, uh, visits. We've all had to, we've all had to really adjust, adapt, figure out a new way. And while I certainly, and I'm sure you agree, none of us, we would all prefer that this wasn't happening right now, but I, I, I'm choosing to look at it as an opportunity to sort of reset and to, I know for me, it's, 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 it's my priorities have taken shape in a way maybe that they hadn't before when you are up against something like this that has nothing to do with whether you're getting your meeting for your sitcom or whether my podcast numbers are up or whatever it is when you're up against something like a a pandemic boy it's it's shifted my my priorities a lot about what where i what i want to do moving forward from here and what's going to be important to me Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I think, um, you know, it's, it, I agree with you. And, and also, you know, back to the, the wine thing, I think with what's going on in the world, it is good to be healthier, like not just, especially not because of how you look, that's like a side effect. Right now you want to be healthy you know, you want to be strong. If you should come across that, hopefully, you know, it'll give you an edge if, if you do come across a person with COVID. But I I just think that, uh, you know, there's so many reasons to go zero sugar right now. Sure. They're really, you know, for health reasons, for, of course, also for the way, you know, your clothes fit, but, did, did you have to think about that much when you when you were younger and I, and we you know I, I you got so you got this if I'm got this right you were 
studying art in France when yes. you got discovered, right? Yes. discovered. So how old are you then? I think I was 18 or 19 when I went to Paris to study art. And, um, and I was working as an illustrator. I was the person who did like the drawings on the maps for uh, Air France travel and, you know, on their travel maps. So I would put like the elephant and uh, here, the palm tree there and, you know, that kind of thing. And, um, and then, and I had a little dog, a little puppy, my puppy got sick and I was making frequent tr trips to my telephoning office because I, I lived in a, a, a chambre de bonne, you know, the maid's room under the eaves at the top of the building with uh, no um, bathroom or telephones or anything. I, my toilette was two flights up or no, two flights down. And my uh, bath was two blocks north in the uh, public bathrooms. <laughs> so wow. it was, it was charming. But I it mean, sounds it was, so amazing. Only when you're 18 was, years old, that's just got to be the yeah, best. Yeah. It was amazing. So I would go to the phone office and to call the vet and say, what do I do now? She's not responding. And a photographer, an American photographer uh, living in Paris had seen me there a couple times and remembered me and and so he got a job and they sort of described somebody a little bit like me for, and he said, I think I know the girl. And he went and waited in the phoning office till I needed to make a phone call again. And, uh, and then said, I've got somebody that wants to do a job with a girl like you. So, and I was like, mm -hmm, mm, okay. <laughs> sure. yeah. He's like, can you come with me to my studio and I'll take a photo. And I was like, um, why don't you just, you know, give me your phone number? Well, I don't have a phone either. That's why I saw you in the phoning office. Here's my address. And then I bumped into a friend about a week later. I was fiddling with something in my pocket and I feel this little paper and I go, Oh, listen to this. This guy said, and she goes, looks at the paper and she goes, no, I've seen that. I've seen that name on a byline of pictures in the magazines. Let's go together. Safety in numbers. And, um, and so we went and uh, he was legit and he took a couple of pictures and took me into the modeling agency and that's how it began. So at, before this happened, you had no designs on being a model. This was your, you no, were. No, I was before that I'd grown up in California. Um, my dad actually was a writer and producer for television and I would go to the studios for lunch with him. And some people would sometimes say, oh, you know, you should get into showbiz or whatever. And I'm like, oh, no, that's okay. I was a little shy. And then um, sometimes people on the beach would come up to me and go, I'm a producer. I remember a guy came up one day and said, I'm a producer of Hullabaloo and you could be a Hullabaloo dancer. It was a show like, you know, Hullabaloo. <laughs> and uh, so um, I thought, ooh, that sounded kind of fun. Then I called my dad and I said, they want on the, from the payphone, you know, and I said, the guys, the guy uh, said he wants me to be on Hullabaloo and a Hullabaloo dancer. And that could be kind of fun. And he said, who was the guy? And I gave him the name. I said the name and number. I assumed he wrote it down. 
So I left the number in the phone booth. And um, and that was that because my dad didn't write it down. I got to imagine back then it had to be harrowing, challenging, because certainly people weren't woke back then. And I got to figure you got guys coming up and being like, hey, we want you to model. We want to do. I'm sure that maybe certain people's intentions were not good back then. And, and you had to be yeah. pretty strong to navigate that. I got to imagine. You know, I. um I don't know if I was so naive that I just didn't notice or, um, but I didn't really, I mean, I did have one request once that sounded fishy to me to, um, to fly down to the South of France. And then some man would pick me up and take me to a yacht and buy me a dress. And I should just be really nice to everybody. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really fishy. That sounds fishy. I may be naive, but no, thank you. And so I didn't do that. But um, so, but otherwise, I, I, I don't. You didn't have a hard. Fun. You didn't have a hard time. No. That's great. No. Now, did you when once things started to take? I mean, did they take off pretty quickly for you? I know uh, Cover Girl came. How long after this was Cover Girl? Yeah. Well, no, it's funny, but while I was still, I was living in Paris um, and uh, I, my first job that I did was a cover for a magazine called Parent, Parents Magazine. And, uh, and then my second day was for French Vogue, uh, was oh, for Harper's and Queen cover and French Vogue. And, uh, and then when I got my checks and those were all like editorial, so it wasn't high pay, but considering what I'd been doing and the amount of money I was earning, I was like, wow, let's go traveling. And so I left town and my agents just kept saying, um, hi, honey, I'm on a call. Um, My agents kept saying, uh, she's booked. She's booked. And uh, so everybody started saying, oh, we uh, we really need. Sorry, my son is coming. Oh, in no, it's his- OK. He wants to jump video. in and have a glass with us. <laughs> Cord. Um, anyway, it created the fact that I wasn't there actually created a demand. And everybody was like, oh, well, then we have to work with her. We need her. And when I came back to Paris, I was like, you know, we have this, we have that. In and demand. meantime, the first day that I went into the model agency, um, two up-and-coming photographers were in there, Patrick de Marchevier and Mike Reinhardt. And they were doing test photos of models at the time and sending them to Eileen Ford. And at the time, the agencies were all sister agencies. So it was Nina Blanchard on the West Coast, Eileen Ford on the East Coast, and Johnny Casablancas in Paris. And um, and they saw me at Elite, at Johnny Casablancas, and they called up Eileen Ford and said, this new girl came in and you've got to see her. And blah, blah, blah. I don't know what all they said, but um, Eileen Ford started calling and saying, you know, I've got to get you here in New York. And uh, it it really did really happen, just like, and I kind of kept like 
like not really like I would do a job, then I'd say, okay, now I'm going to leave again and travel or do something. And those things really did, I think, propel me. Well, you couldn't have known what was coming because it hadn't happened before because you were sort of the prototype for the supermodel. I mean, what, what ended up happening with you, if, if, if I'm understanding it, it was prior to you, I mean, there were, there'd been models obviously, and there'd been some big models, but I, you kind of ushered in the era of, and I'm trying to think of some of your contemporaries back then, but it would have been, um, Oh, uh, well, I think the big supermodel era really, uh, I don't, I don't think I can really be considered that. I think it was, um, like a little bit after I got going, I mean, I've had a successful career and I'm not complaining, but I think that the real supermodel, supermodel was like the um, Cindy Crawford, Claudia Schiffer. The uh, George Michael, the George Michael video when they were all in that video, Naomi Naomi Campbell. And, uh, but is, I don't, but I'm saying, I think that's, that came because of it. It's like supermodels. Um, and and I think Claudia Schiffer uh, was an Uber model. Um, I think I was more commercial than high fashion, you know? Um, I mean, I did do a bit, you know, I did Vogue, I did Bazaar, I did Glamour, Mademoiselle, you know, all of that stuff. I did a lot of covers, um, but uh, when I was doing it, we it was, you were either an editorial model or a runway model. And the editorial the, and doing the ad, or, and, and often there was this distinction between advertising models and editorial models. And I think I was more advertising and commercial than, um, you know, and I did a lot of swimsuit, which I love because- the Sports Illustrated me, stuff. Beaches was all over the world, yes. Speaking- for the time I was a young man, it was, you were an idea, I think, at least for a lot of guys, my age, I was a teenager. I was a kid. I mean, probably even younger than a teenager that why? Yeah. Um, I remember vacation coming out Uh, and and that would have been what early eighties. So I was 14 or something, you know, and you were, I I thought I got to imagine, especially, you know, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia, but I remember thinking, well, that must be what California's like. Like this, you. I looked at you and I thought, well, that's California. You know, she is. I got to get out there someday. But I for the re- so I think for the rest of the world, you probably came to represent sort of the ideal of what American beauty at the time was being defined as. So it was it was beyond just being a model. It was about being an idea. Would you say that's oh, seems well, that's accurate? Very sweet of you to say. Um, I mean, I know that, uh, I know that to this day, people still think of me as, uh, living in California and I've actually lived here on the East coast now, I think equally long or longer. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I, I still, um, people will say, well, it's obviously it's really hot where you are in California. And I'll say, no, I, I don't live there anymore. Um, and once my parents passed away, I, I mean, as long as my parents were there, I always thought of myself as Californian still, but 
you know, now it's like we're on the East Coast. No, and uh, I get that. I mean, I'm from Philly. And yeah. I never say I'm from, and I've been gone from Philadelphia for half my life. And yeah. I've been here, I've been in, I've been in LA since uh, 2000. So it's going on you know, over 20 years, but I never yeah. say that I'm, when people ask me where I'm from, I say I'm from Philly, you know, and yeah. I, yeah. I've never well, lost that Malibu. probably. Yeah. Well, that's like, I grew up in Malibu. Those are my hills. That's where my forts were, you know, under the bushes. I had my, I knew every creek Every creek bed, every waterfall, every pond, every like you know, uh, every place to swim in the kelp beds. I knew where there were kelp beds. I knew where there weren't kelp beds. I mean, that's where you explore, and that's your place. You know, I get it. And I've I've been kicking around, and again, this is a COVID thing as well. Well, it's a COVID thing, and it's also, I mean, you, you, I'm sure you come out here sometimes, to Venice, and Venice has changed so much, and, and maybe not necessarily for the better for me, but I've thought about moving back to the East Coast, but I'm wondering if it would be too jarring for me, because I've not had to deal with winter in so long. I've not yeah, had- Yeah, that's very nice. You know, it's- I you, maybe you take it for granted that in December and January you can go out in shorts and still I don't know if I could handle it but then you know there's things about California that I'm sure are so different than when you grew up it's way well it was way more crowded I think people are leaving again because of what's going on but I don't know I don't know I mean looking at the setting you're in right now it looks very this what I'm looking at Christy for those of you listening and it just looks very warm and you've got a big sweater on and it just feels very yeah. East coast. And that yeah. is it. I miss that. I miss yeah. that uh, like Thanksgiving and Christmas and it being cold. Yeah. And, and I lived in Aspen. I lived in Colorado for five oh, years. Nice. Yeah. For five years as well. And I, I know you've spent some time there as well. Yeah, and, I and I, you know, I've thought maybe I could go back to Colorado, but maybe it's just getting older and, and thinking wanting to maybe reconnect with my roots is what yeah. might want to bring and also be close to New York. And I've got so many friends there and, you know, and you're back there and we'll probably be hanging out all the time drinking uh, Bellissima when, when I move back. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, bon when's the next bonfire? Can I get back for that in time? Yeah, yeah all right. for sure. I'll, I'll be there. Bonfires nightly. <laughs> nightly bonfires. Um, so let's get back to the, let's talk a little bit more about the brand here. Has it been, have things been okay during COVID in terms of sales of the brand or people still, cause it was really going well for you, right? Is it still yes. going well? Yeah, I think, yes. I think that, um, you know, we, I was really, really proud to win the, um, when we all went into quarantine in the beginning and there was such a need for PPE, I was so proud. I called up. Um, my partners at Bellissima. And I said, guys, you know, everybody's buying liquor right now. Everybody's home. They can't go to a restaurant, you know, let's take this moment where, you know, our sales are up and let's give as much as we can give to buy PPE for our hospital heroes. Let's help protect them because, you know, they're our first line of defense. And without hesitation um my partner said absolutely we'll give 30 percent which 
is almost all of our profit. That's fantastic. I mean, that's yeah, when you're that's amazing. You know, selling it like on one of these outlets, you know. Um, so I was really proud of that. And we were able to buy a lot of PPEs. And, uh, you know, they needed a forklift to lift our supplies. And, um, and when we finished our first month, everybody agreed, let's roll right into our next month as well. So we were able to do that for two months straight. And, um, and I, I think it was, I was really, really proud of that. Um, and uh, I hope that as we go into this winter, that, uh, you know, we don't find ourselves with the same kind of shortages, um, you know, that we, we did. And I hope that we don't find our same, same spike in numbers. Um, well, at the risk of getting slightly political, I am buoyed by the idea that maybe the new administration's going, not maybe, I'm dancing around it, that the new administration that's coming in in, in two months is going to probably be a lot more laser focused on getting us through this well, thing and getting us through it in the right yeah, way. So Absolutely. I think that's why he won because, you know, people want to take, this is a global pandemic and we have not turned a corner. There are, uh, what were the numbers today? I think it's 240,000 Americans have died. You know, that's in less than, in less than a year. People, yeah. There's 10 million people with COVID, 10 million people. Um, and today there was an uptick here in New York, in Connecticut, in New Jersey. So our area that had been holding it down since we were able to get it down to 1%, and we've been really, really strict with that, uh, but everybody's going back in and I think everybody's got the COVID fatigue and sure. people have let their guards down and they're going indoors, you know, on the cold days and it's upticking again. So it's all about the mask. It's all about everybody literally wearing the masks for the people that we're with. You know, we do it for them. Um, I'm going to do my part, Christy, by staying home alone and just drinking Bellissima all by myself. Can't, I'd be happy just by myself. I got my, I got my bottle. I got my supply here. I'm ready to do it. I wanted to bring up one other thing that you do that, that that I've, since I was a child, I've always uh, been fascinated and loved elephants. And so I was so happy to see when I was prepping for this, that you are a huge elephant advocate, right? You, you've, you've really thrown a lot of time and energy into helping elephants and trying to save them from poaching uh, around the world. Can you talk just a little bit about that? Because I just think it's so great. Oh, well, I really wish that we were allowed back in there, you know, because um, elephant poaching is just, it's so sad. You know, elephants are the most intelligent and sensitive uh, beings. They are, uh, maternal. They love their babies. Their babies depend on them. The The matriarch has the wisdom and she passes it down to her whole herd. So when a poacher kills the matriarch, you know, senselessly, cruelly, just to take the tusks because they believe that there's magic powers in these tusks or in like China, the tusk is a status symbol. Um, and, uh, 
they they kill these mag magnificent animals to take this little tusk and carve it up or grind it up. It is so sad. And then the whole herd suffers. Um, my dog just heard your dog. <laughs> my dog. My dog got upset talking about the the elephants. My she dog loves elephants. <laughs> yeah, but then the whole herd suffers, you know, and uh, and often the little ones will then die because they don't have their mom taking care of them, and so it's something that uh, you know if we don't change this, they are on the brink of extinction, and we've just got to stop all these animals from becoming extinct. And if we, if, if Africa loses the big five, they will lose tourism. And then the people there will suffer even more. There's extreme poverty there. They need the tourism, you know, to survive. So it's a big loop, you know, and there's only so much Bono can do. For Africa, there's yeah. only so much Bono can do, so we we all got to get involved here. Yeah, we all have to get involved and not buy any ivory, no matter if they say, "Oh, but that's that's antique, that's old ivory." It's okay. No, none of it's okay because if they, if if anybody treats it like a status symbol or anything desirable, then the elephants will lose. But I fell in love with the elephants on a trip uh, to Africa with Sports Illustrated. And I had my daughter Alexa with me and she was just a little thing. And, uh, and we were trying to get a cover shot with the elephants behind me really close. And so we had Hemingway's tracker uh, leading us into the bush. And he had told me, he said, if we get close to the elephants, you're going to purr like this. Okay. And that's going to calm them. And he said, because it is the season where the, the moms are with their babies right now and they will be very protective. So we're driving along and we come through in our Jeep and I'm up on the roof. The photographer's in the car behind me because he's going to shoot me, if, you know, from the rooftops with the elephants. And we barge through this bush and suddenly we come upon a mama with her babies there. And she swings around with her trunk and her ears flapping and she's furious and she looks like she's going to charge us. And the trapper had just told the tracker had just told us stories about how if they get angry, they will roll your car until they know you're dead inside of it. Or if they get you separately, they'll kneel on your chest, you know, with their knee and then boom, they could, you know, stick their tusk in or whatever. They're generally very gentle, you know, by the way. But when they're with their babies and you surprise them like that, they are like, you know, going to defend their baby. And I can relate to that. You know, I came through and I was like, what a great mom. You know, look at this great mom. And I was like looking eye to eye, mom to mom. And, uh, and I felt her concern for her child and I just fell in love with them for that. And, um, and so I just tried to do what I can. And, um, my daughter sailor and I went back and learned everything that we could about the elephants so that we could come back here and do a round of shows and inform people and, uh, you know, let them know, uh, about this very urgent situation. Well, 
I applaud you for for doing that. I applaud you for the bubbly. I applaud you for just taking the time to talk to us. One other quick, you mentioned Alexa, right? Is, do I have it? Down Easter Alexa, was that written before her? No? What's the connection with the name? Well, yeah. Well, Down Easter Alexa um, was, um, there. we did have a boat, the, a Down East Hall, um, because I was a sailor. Billy was a motorboater. We're talking about Billy Joel, by the way, in case anybody yeah, doesn't. This is a yeah. Billy Joel song called Down Easter Alexa. Famous yeah. song. Okay, go ahead. And so we wanted... We wanted to find a a motorboat for him that had the feeling of a sailboat for me. And so we saw these lobster yachts and they have these very graceful lines. And so uh, he decided, let's build a boat out up in Maine. And it's a, it, we used a down east, it's called a down east hull. And, uh, and one of our boats that we we built several boats up there over the years, and one of them was called the Down Easter Alexa, and uh, and that and then Billy was writing a song about our local baymen here, uh, who um, were having the the plight of the baymen, and he at that point he had never really gotten political about anything, but he wanted to write a song that illustrated the you know, what the baymen were going through trying to make a living in Long Island as a bayman and uh, with their double-ended dories and, you know, uh, and just, so he wrote that song and it's such a great song, you know, you beautiful, really yeah. the swell of the ocean and all of that. So, and you understood it, it illustrated the life of the bayman very well. So did did that Alexa come first, or did Alexa your child come? I mean, that's what I was trying to get. Oh, oh, Alexa came first, and he named it after her. Got it. Beautiful. Because it is a tradition. A lot of these Downies boats are named after, like the wives or girlfriends or daughters. You know, it's very common for them to have girls' names on them. And you got Uptown Girl. That was your song. <laughs> I didn't get one named after me. <laughs> but I mean, Uptown Girl was about you, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that whole album was, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So not bad. You know, I get a, you know, that's a, I mean, an incredibly famous song. And I can't yeah. ever hear it without seeing the video in my head again. My, yeah. <laughs> my formative years. You, you were a big part of that. And, uh, and, and which makes getting the chance to talk to you again really special. And I want to tell everybody out there that Christy's going to be on QVC this Wednesday, November 11th, right? Yes. Doing 11, 11, going to be doing a gourmet holiday show with Bellissima. Actually, I'm going to be introducing the QVC audience to my sparkling rosé. And I'm, I'm super excited about it because it is so delicious. I am so thrilled with this. And don't you love the bottle? Isn't it beautiful? Look at this. I'm halfway done. I'm halfway done this oh. bottle just during our during this interview. That's how much <laughs> I like it. And I and by the way, Chrissy, I was not planning on uh, drinking because it's, it's only six o'clock in the morning out here in California. I'm kidding, everybody. I'm kidding. It's <laughs> it's at least two in the afternoon. Um, it's delicious. It really is. And it really is right. It's a it's um the perlage in it is really the bubbles are very nice. 
The sometimes with certain uh, rosés, I find that you take the sip and uh, and then the finish is a little bitter. Like there's like leaves this taste in your mouth, right? That you kind of go, oh, I liked it at first, but now there's a little something tangy or, you know, that's not. But this is, I think from start to finish, this is a really delicious, elegant. I think it stands up to any sparkling rosé out there. I honestly really have had the best and and what I'm talking when I say that the most expensive ones, and our price is you know that's now, what, what that's is it what is it a bottle between champagne and prosecco and for some reason our uh, in it when we produce in Italy like we do we're able to have better prices um, and what is the price uh, on that will be it's the same as they want, anywhere from 17 to 21. Depending on yeah, so it's going to be between 17 and 21, depending on the Which vendor. is great. Yeah, fantastic. Which is really, you know, I think that this is worth every penny. And I think that the bottle's beautiful. I was really pleased with the way it came out. You do so. You, the artwork is you, right? The the illustrations on well, the bottle. Yeah, I mean it's me and Botticelli, <laughs> because what happened was um, I was my my partner said, "Well, we know you went to art school, and we want you to design the bottles." And so I set to work right away. I, I had I kept you know, I had a bunch of old bottles in the house, you know, and I started painting them. I started trying all kinds of different ideas. And one day, um, my partner called me up and said, by the way, I forgot to mention to you, um, I have the, um, uh, what is that called? The, uh, not the patent, the, the um, uh, commercial rights to Botticelli's Venus. And I said, wait, what? <laughs> he said, you know, in case that influences you in any way. And I said, of course, she's like the goddess of, of you know, all these good things, love, bounty, food, you know, uh, sex, everything, you know? So I said, okay, it's gotta be Venus on the bottle. And, uh, and then we just did like a loose rendition. My first bottle, I had the hair coming all the way around so that then, the hair spelled out Bellissima, but we had to alter that a little bit because of the way that you print a bottle, you know, you can't just, um, but, and then I broke up the back sides of the bottle. I don't know if you can see on this one very well, but on the back side of the bottle, you know, I broke it up so that it's like, like stickers, like travel stickers on a suitcase. Yeah. I've got that the, on the back of this one. Yeah. Different milestones. You know, I, I always loved, I traveled a lot and I always loved covering my suitcase with stickers. So, um, but, uh, you so still I have thought, the little spat when I remember when we were in Vegas, when we got done doing the interview, we walked around a little bit and we were yeah. drinking them at the little bottles with the spout where you could, what was that? What was that yes, thing called? Yeah. Yes. So these are our little bottles are our bambinis. We call them our bambinis. They're our little babies. And then we just stick the, pop them open 
and stick the zipper in it. And it's so great and convenient for, you know, if you want, anytime you would grab a bill, a beer and throw it in a cooler and you grab these bambinis and the little sipper and throw it in, you don't have to worry about glasses. You don't have to worry about if this falls on the ground, it's not going to break, you know, it's not going to spill with the sipper on it. It's very, very convenient. Even parties in your home, you don't have all Glasses breaking, glasses to wash at the end. All I can tell you is walking around Vegas, walking around that convention center with you, and we were sipping on those, the Bambinis, Bambinis, Bambinis? Bambinis. Bambinis. Sipping on those was a, uh, I would say that that was the moment when I thought, yeah, I'm living my best life right now. This is it. I've I've arrived, and... uh, (laughs) And I thank you for that. That, It was great, Chrissy. You... uh, your it, it, thanks for your time and and your energy and and you're just it's really great to talk to you and to see you again and again I tell everybody to go on to QVC on Wednesday there's going to be two separate shows you're going to be doing one 1 to 4 p.m. and then 4 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time gourmet holiday shows on QVC get a chance to see Christy and Bellissima and please go out and get it I mean this the, I feel healthier I'm dr- I've had half this <laughs> bottle and I feel like I'm in better shape than when I started right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Right? It's incredible. And, and I, I'll put it up on my Instagram when I get the exact time. Um, I'll try and pinpoint it a little bit better. So when I'll be on, but because I, I really want your audience not to miss out this opportunity with the holidays coming. This is the perfect time to stock up because I promise you this is what you're going to want. It's a palate cleanser between your your courses at your Thanksgiving dinner. And I mean, it's just what you want to be drinking. It is that good. I agree with everything she just said. Christy Brinkley, you're the best. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, Dan, it was a pleasure. It was great to see you again and come by my bonfire whenever you want. I'm, you're welcome. I'm getting in my car now. I'll be there in four days. <laughs> Okay, we'll be right back after this quick break. As the host of a show called What We're Drinking, people often ask me, hey, what are you drinking? When it comes to American-made whiskey, my go-to is Rabbit Hole. Their unique recipes were created by their founder, a guy named Kaveh. He and his team at Rabbit Hole spare no expense in making their bourbon and rye. They have their own cooking methods and use top-of-the-line grains. They never chill filter, and they use barrels that are toasted, charred, and wood-fired, which almost nobody does. What you end up with is a line of bourbon and rye with these really rich, deep flavors that are unlike anything you've ever tasted. What are you having? It's a question as old as the bartending profession itself. And if you ask me, the answer is Rabbit Hole. Wow. Okay. So this uh, Christy Brinkley interview went a lot longer than I thought it was going to go. And I'm not complaining. Not complaining at all. I would talk to Christy Brinkley seven days a week and twice on Sundays if I could. That means uh, I'm not going to get normally at this point, I would talk about some new products you should be drinking, but I don't want the show to be too long. That means I'm tired. That means I'm going to leave you. I'm going to leave you. Going to leave you. I'll stop singing now. Um, I do want to thank Christy Brinkley. Of course, I want to thank you. I invite you to follow me at The Imbiber on Twitter and Instagram. Check out Christy on QVC, Wednesday the 11th. 
And uh, I don't know. I don't think there's anything else. I'll see you next time for episode number 100. 